I'll take a few seconds here. Uh, grateful for my dad um, who passed and is with the Lord a little over three years ago. Way that um, he generously loved me and he, the best gift that my dad ever gave me was not only my name, I'm a junior, but he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's the best gift, dads, that you could ever give your children because what it means is I get to see my dad again. I'm grateful for my stepfather who stepped in when I was four and a half years old and became my dad. It's rare in a world struggles to find fathers where you're blessed with two dads. And so I'm grateful for my stepfather Andy and the life that he gave to me and is giving to me and the life that he modeled Jesus for me. I'm a blessed man. I'm also grateful for my children. <laughs> grateful for Josh and Hannah. And our son Isaiah that left this morning and flew to Atlanta, Georgia for a golf internship. Dads, we have responsibility. Men, we have responsibility. And more than ever in our world, we need men that won't back down. My hope is this today, that Dad Fest will be more than the games, which are fun. It'll be more than the free ice cream, which is an incredible gift would be more than a sunny sky that God has given us, but something would happen in our hearts today that would change the whole direction of our lives or continue us in the direction that God has us in. Men are missing everywhere. A recent study was done with rhinos and elephants. It was an article written just recently by Eric Kahn. And the article is called, and just listen, hold on to this. The article is called, Why the World Needs Dominant Men. And I would say this way, why the world needs strong men. In 2000, CBS News ran a story titled, The Delinquents, which followed the story of South African wildlife parks that had been experiencing an alarming number of white rhino killings. At first thought to be the work of poachers, this theory was soon rejected after it was noted that the horns were left intact on the rhinos. As park rangers soon discovered, the culprits were overly aggressive teenage bull elephants. But why were these teenage elephants so abnormally aggressive towards the white rhinos and tourist vehicles? The problem was 20 years in the making, South Africa's largest conservation area, Kruger National Park, had an unsustainable number of large elephant population. To help alleviate the overpopulation conundrum, researchers decided to kill many of the older adult, many of the mature elephants because they were much easier to transport than 
the teenage elephants. What, here's what they found about the teenage elephants. They found that they had raging levels of testosterone. These elephants were sexually active and aggressive at younger ages than normal glands on their faces swelled and released fluids while their back legs remained wet as they urinated on themselves far more frequently than normal. For those of you who are hunters, they remained in rut for abnormal amounts and periods of time. Second, this is what they found. These unruly teenage male elephants formed street gangs that gradually increased in violent behavior. On several occasions, these elephants gored and harassed rhinos for no apparent reason, destroyed park vehicles and facilities, and caused problems for tourists. And perhaps the most notorious, Mufuta was a young bull that played the role of the gang leader, inciting other young elephants to follow his brutal lead. He eventually had to be shot and killed as did many of the other most aggressive teenage elephants. So what was to be done with these elephants? In 1998, park rangers from Kruger National Park decided to relocate older, more dominant, stronger, and more mature bull elephants to these other locations where these teenage bull elephants were running rampant. decision was made after scientists and researchers noticed an all too obvious fact. These young, overly aggressive elephants lacked older mentor role models. As one oncologist spoke, said if if was as if a group of unruly teenagers at a party were suddenly confronted by their mature fathers. The obvious feature of the created order, whether we're talking about men or elephants, the author says, is that societies naturally organize around hierarchical structures. And every hierarchy needs dominant, strong, mature, mentoring, aggressive men at the top of it. In other words, young men need more mature fathers and stronger leaders to keep them in check to rein in otherwise unruly sexual hormones, exert dominance, and guide youngsters into normative practices of life. And of course, our society, the author says, has borne this truth out exactly. Men without fathers, roughly 25 million alone in the United States, constitute 90% of those currently incarcerated. 85% of those arrested in the UK grew up without fathers. And germane to current discussions, 50% of black children are raised without a father. According to the Journal and Research in Crime and Delinquency, the greatest predator of violent crime is fatherlessness. The second thing, to notice is that a father's physical and strong mentoring and dominance and maturity and his ability to lead is the only thing that can hold a teenage boy in check. Young boys need to feel the the of an old bull when they are in his presence. They need to fear him 
as the sexually, emotionally, and physically superior presence. The article goes on. But we are a society of fatherless children. The grown-up died long ago. Adults won't tell their children no. Then there's advanced stages of toddler throwing an unchecked tantrum in the supermarket checkout line. The really stupid thing is that neutered authorities are standing by and letting this happen. What you see, the author says, in the streets of America today is at least 20 and 30 years in the making. It's a generational failure of fatherhood. And it won't be fixed quickly. The solution lies in generation, not months or even years. And so to correct the problem, men with young children still in the home and men who have yet to become fathers need to embrace a long-term vision for fatherly faithfulness. They need to learn how to become strong, physically, and emotionally, and and morally men. The author goes on to say that it must happen now. How many of you across this field, and those of you who are watching online via live stream or Facebook Live, how many of you have an absent father And because of that, you find yourselves really in these same statistics. More than ever, more than ever in my lifetime, we need men, dads, strong men who are willing to say, we won't back down. We will take responsibility and we will stand in our homes and lead our children to Jesus We will dig into God's word. We will pray with and not just for our wives. But we will be the directional marker for the children in our home and in our neighborhoods. So that these young children can finally see that it's possible to follow a man who loves Jesus. We meet men who are the last man standing. Grab your Bibles and we're going to look at three men that were these kind of men. Turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And I ask you to stand with me as we read Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Would you turn there with me and stand across this field? And even as you're watching online, would you stand in your room as we lift God's word high? Read this with me. Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Ready, read. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, 
This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. You may have a seat. It requires great faith to be the last man standing. Conformity was a real issue here in the time of Nebuchadnezzar as it is right now for us. In fact, what he does and requires of his nation isn't much different in your workplace when someone needs to stand for Jesus. Isn't much different when you stand for Jesus on social media. He was telling them they must conform or else they will die. There's this 90 feet or 90 foot tall image, skyscraper we should say, of King Nebuchadnezzar. Picture, if you can for a second, the magnitude of this baby. Seriously, eight, run up a, a, a skyscraper, run up to the eighth floor and look down. This thing was gold-plated. It was the picture of pride. It was the picture of, you will listen to me. And so he commands them to bow down as soon as the eye of the tiger begins to play. It's the one thing that they must do in order to show homage or honor to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says, if you don't bow down, you will die. So every man there, every person there had a choice to make. Would they stick to their beliefs in God? Or would they quickly kneel because they were fearful of what might took place? This was a make or break moment for some men and women. And for God to show off. You see, I wonder how many opportunities you and I have passed on when all we needed was someone to stand and say, not on my watch. This isn't happening anymore. I've been quiet too long. Death was imminent. And this was a true battle of the gods. Look what happens in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, there's always a few of those, aren't there? May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Someone went against the grain. Someone decided to not to be pressured and be squeezed into a form. And what would happen to them is they would get notice. Scholars tell us that most likely there were 100 
thousand people gathered for this dedication ceremony. So picture if you can. Go to University of Michigan. And some of you are Go Blue fans. If you were to go there, 100,000 fans, picture. And in the center of the 50-yard line was this statue that was raised eight stories high, peeking above the outer rim of University of Michigan football stadium. And imagine as the music began to play and the band came out and they said, worship this image. And immediately when the music went off, everyone knelt in the stadium. And as you looked around at 100,000 fans, there stood three brave, fearless, godly men who would say, I stand for my God, even if it means I'm the only one and I will look death in its face and even if I die, I'll receive the greatest gift I've ever received. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the king's best and finest men did not bow. And by the way, they were spotted. They stood the test and refused to compromise. Here's a basic truth that holds you back it's how you think about the thing that holds you back. Every man has a choice to make. Will he do the hard thing? We can stand for a lot of things, but are we willing to stand for Jesus? Let me just ask you a few questions about your week. Where have you been spotted recently standing for Jesus? Look over your last week. Reflect the photos that have been taken of you. What would it reveal about you as an individual? Was there courage or was there fear? Was there godliness or ungodliness? Was there silence or, was, or were you vocal about your faith? Was there pride or was there humility? Take a look over your past week. Where does that kind of boldness come from? Where do you get that kind of bravery that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had? Where do you know, or who do you know on your friend list, either, whether Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or even in the workplace, or family, or church would say, I bet if today someone came in and knocked Jim off the stage and requested that you worship this idol, how many of you would bow your knee because you were fearful of losing your life? It's no different for us today. Paul reminded his hearers long ago, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But let me just say something about death. Many are willing to die for Jesus, yet are willing to live for him. Some of you would say, yeah, I'll take a bullet in the head for Jesus. But you're not willing to live. You're not willing to lead your wives. You're not willing to be on the front lines for your children. You're not willing to be vocal in the workplace, praying with and for. You are silenced by a fear of what other people think. Let me ask you a question. Do you really live for Jesus? Would your co-worker say, there lies and stands and sits and works a man of God? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? 
someone could call you a Christian? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? They could call you religious? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? You could lose your job? Do you not believe that our God can provide for all your needs? Or do you believe that somehow if you put your faith at risk that God won't provide? 1 Samuel 2.30, one of my favorite verses and most challenging verses in Scripture is this. It says, for or far be it for me, those that honor me, I will honor. Those who despise, I will disdain. God says, you honor me, I'll honor you. You disdain me, I'll dislike you. And so we have a chance more than ever in a world where fathers are missing and where men are absent to stand for God and honor him and he will honor you. You see, here's the problem. We live as though we have will never meet our God. We live like this is our final home. We live like we'll live forever. I know it's hard to daily remind ourselves of this truth, but the reality is, and let me say this, this is not our home. Can I get an amen? This isn't home. But some of us have become so attached. The world says I need more life insurance, a better retirement portfolio. I live in a world where too many husbands spend their entire marriages preparing their wives for the last 10 years of retirement instead of the million years of eternity in heaven. Men, husbands, I want you to think about this for a moment. You and I have responsibility. Here's our responsibility. To present our wives before God at the bema seat, bematas, the judgment seat of Christ, as a spotless, unblemished, pure bride. That's our responsibility, is to prepare her for God so that she can hear, well done. Are you doing that? Do you think about that? Are you pouring into her? Are you investing in her? Are you praying with her? Are you leading her? Are you teaching? Are you growing together so that when she passes on, you stand at her gravesite and you say, God, I gave it my best. I presented my bride to you. Is that what is keeping you awake at night? You see, I am responsible and you are responsible as fathers to get your kids ready to meet Jesus too. Hear me out. None of these things are intrinsically wrong. But some of you are spending more time to help them be the 4-H champion or a chess guru or an all-conference golfer or a soccer stud or a track star or a first chair flutist. We have parents chasing kids all over creation on Sunday for ball games. We have dads that are staying at home and allowing their kids to run rampant instead of leading them to Jesus. We are to blame. I am taking responsibility. It is your fault. You can turn the tide. You see, we have been sold a lie. The lie that says the coolest, smartest, fastest, best looking, gadget carrying, straightest toothed kid wins in this world. We have teen guys who spend more time trying to get a girl than they do trying to know Jesus. 
Look at any dude, young kid, that tells you, hey, look at my girlfriend. She's hot. Well, she's really hot. And I want to say, well, so is hell really hot. Here's the problem. Come on, guys. I need you. Don't check out. Because I believe there are world changers right here. I believe those of you who are watching and those of you that somehow are in other states in America and we have internationals are checking in, we can turn the tide with the help of Jesus. We can do that. But here's the problem. We believe a lie that cool is the new end. Let me know how cool you are when you stand before the creator God at the Bema seat. The Messiah, the Savior who gave his life for us. Who shed his blood for us. Let me know how cool it is standing in hell because you never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look at the chaos in our world right now. We need Jesus more than ever. More than ever. Jesus is our answer for everything. Here's what we need. And this is why you're gathered here today. This is why you're listening. This is why you're tuning in. We need a Holy Spirit revival amongst God's people. Amen? That's what we need. We need a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. Because tomorrow will be too late. We need a hunger for righteousness. An appetite for purity. We need someone who will stand and say, I will stand for Jesus even if I stand alone. I wonder what else has to happen for our God to get our attention. If he hasn't gotten your attention now in the midst of COVID-19, if he hasn't raised the antennas on your attention meter, then either your heart isn't beating or your heart is callous and it's time to give it to Jesus. We've been fed a lie that says faith is supposed to insulate us. Well, the last time I checked and looked at my Bible, I've seen people who died, who were sawed in two, who were burned at the stake because they had faith in their God. Jesus has already prayed for us. Read John 17. And he says, it's a dangerous place to be to walk with Jesus. We are left to fend for ourselves, but we have Jesus with us. When we are willing to take a stand for something we strongly believe in, hear me out, it could cost you your job. It could cost you a relationship, a friendship. But it's worth it standing before our God one day and said, Jesus, I chose to stand for you. After all that you've done for me, eternal life, I will do whatever it takes to turn and redirect my family. It's not too late. I will be a strong leader. I will be a godly leader. I will be a loving leader. And I will turn the tide one day at a time. You see, when we're willing to do that, Hardship will come. By the way, I firmly believe with all of my heart that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only God followers there. You can't tell me out of 100,000 people that there weren't other Yahweh followers there. But only three men were willing to stand for their God. 
There had to be more. One author said this, and I believe this more than ever, even in our world today. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We must stand up. We must show the world that we have Jesus with us. I wonder how many kneeling and bowing down to the nine story image were saying, that should have been me. I should have listened to that quiet whisper of the Holy Spirit. We need some men to put their brave on. The Old Testament gives us a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. And just listen in 1 Kings chapter 2. As David was giving a charge to his son Solomon. David is at his deathbed. He's ready to die. And he's looking at his son Solomon. And in his last spoken word to his son, this is what he said. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. Be strong, Solomon. Act like a man, Solomon. And observe what the Lord your God requires. And he looked at his son as he was breathing his last breath. And he said, walk in obedience to him. And keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. And then he says, if your descendants watch how they live. And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul. You will never fail. To have a successor on the throne of Israel. You see what's happening? Godliness passed down. Faithfulness passed down. Strong man leading his family in a loving, tender way. Passing it down. It's never too late. I don't care if you have grown children and you have grandchildren. It's never too late to get back in the game And live Christ in front of. Do you believe that today? Never too late. By the way. Never let. Someone else's fear. Keep you from stepping out in faith. People like to put fear all over me. In many instances my whole life. They've come along and they've whispered. And they said things. And they tried to nudge or manipulate. Or control me as a person. With fear. Speaking fear over me. If you do this, that will happen. If you go there, that will happen. If you do this, speaking fear. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I had to just say, God, may that fear be gone in Jesus' name. I am here to honor you and I will answer to you, God. You are my God. They aren't my God. Sometimes God wants to stack the odds against us. So that we can experience a miracle of divine proportions. In this story, Nebuchadnezzar was not being used, used to being defied. He was a very prideful leader. In fact, look at verse 13. Look at his response when he finds out how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded. Look at Daniel chapter 3 and look at verses 13 to 15 and look how he responds. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar 
summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the instruments, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, look at what he says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You see, he was not used to people backing down. No one would dare disobey King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you picture these men walking to King Nebuchadnezzar as he questions them? There is no doubt there was some fear, but they walked through their fear. Mostly because he was questioning them because he couldn't believe that anyone would defy his orders. I believe his pride was hurt. And he even gives them another chance because everyone saw them. And I believe he called them up to the front, stood them up on the stage and said, now I'll give you a second chance to bow down. Because he thought for sure that they would crumble in fear. And he wanted everyone else to know that he ruled the land. Then he says this amazing, I would say even inquisitive statement. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? As if to say, these hands that, that I have that he forgot that God created run the world. And I am the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. But he forgot one thing. That we have a big God. <laughs> that we have a great God, that we have a jealous God, that we have an omnipotent God who can destroy nations with the flick of his finger and he can do it today. Amen? That's who our God is. But I believe this. I think some of you have forgotten that. Many of us have been taught these stories since we were kids, yet we still aren't willing to take a stand for Jesus. What else does God have to do in your heart for you to take a stand for Jesus in the workplace. How many of you even know your neighbor's names? How many of you have ever had a spiritual conversation with a neighbor? Listen, the reason you have a neighbor is to point them to Jesus. We do need to defend our faith. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. Look what it says in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if, but even if he does not, we want you to know you and your nine-story-high idol that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, God's deliverance was an option. But our obedience is never an option for us. Our faith is not supposed to insulate us. It's supposed to move us forward. What's his response? They say no the second time. And by this time, 
the, the, the 100,000 that were still there, they couldn't believe it. And then it says this in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious again with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The enemy often turns up the heat when the breakthrough is about to happen, doesn't he? Have you ever found that? I've often said this. If the heat goes up and the temperature gaze goes up, if the temptation meter rises, if trials begin to pack up, if the workplace gets harder and the home life gets more tense, if family issues begin to ex escalate, if everything seems to be just at the nth degree, God is about to do a breakthrough. Why? Because the enemy has been a keen observer from the beginning of time. He has watched God come through. He has watched people of faith trust in God. And every time I see the heat go up, every time I see the hard meter get to the top, every time I see temptation rise, every time I see sickness want to overtake me or others, I think, oh, oh, breakthrough's about to happen. I will not back down. The truest test of our faith is also when God's answer is no. These men were not certain that God would come through and spare their lives, but they were willing to die. It says they were tied and thrown into a furnace. They had a chance to back down, but they were willing to die for God. Listen, some of us even know how this story ends. You're like, oh, Pastor Jim, I know what happened. They come out, Jesus with them. And it does nothing to your heart. Something's wrong. If we can't look at this again and say, our God's great. Maybe your heart is hard. Maybe it's calloused. And maybe you've let the truths of God's word become so familiar that you're no longer in awe of a God who's, who would part our skies and give us cloud cover on dad fest because he knows we need to hear this message. Watch what happens next. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 24, it says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. You bet they did. 
because they just saw a miracle. The only thing that burned was the ropes that bound their hands. And he says this. No smell of fire was on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, death for them meant more life. Jesus is always in your fires standing next to you. We just need to trust him. I love what happens here. The whole nation, which was pagan, the whole nation that just worship and bow down to a skyscraper, gold-laced piece of junk, is now going to be cut into pieces and tossed out as rubble if they don't worship the Most High God. And why? Because three men took the test and said, we won't back down. Three men. Three men changed the nation. Three men changed the direction of a country. Three men against 100,000 people changed the whole trajectory of the country. Three men. So you think you can make a difference? Oh, yeah. If three men changed the whole country, imagine what hundreds of men could do. Imagine for a second. Today is the day when men of God say, I won't back down. But let me back up a second and say this. Every great move of God begins with a repentant heart. But first, you must have a moment in your life when you surrendered to Jesus. You see, here's what I'm fearful of. And this is why I'm preaching my heart out today. Some of you, if you were to stand in the marketplace, people wouldn't even know you're a Christian. And maybe the reason they don't see Christ is because Christ isn't in you. If Jesus lives in you, Jeremiah says, there should be a fire burning in you that you cannot contain or hold it in. Let me ask you a question. Do you really know Jesus Christ? Do you personally know him as your friend and savior? This is for men and women. Any of you today. You see, if you don't know Christ, the alternative is hell. And if you don't know Christ, you won't get through COVID-19 because you'll live in fear. You see, when I wake up every day, I'm very in tune with what's happening in our world. And I'm being as responsible as I can be to walk through this difficult time. But I want to be a person that stands in the midst and says, even if I die, 
It's the greatest gift I'll ever receive because I am a child of God. Even if I die, I'll end up in heaven. So before we move on today, before I challenge the men, I have a question to ask. Listen to me. Teenagers. Elementary age. Grandparents. Sons and daughters. Men and women. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that you tuned in and the Spirit of God is, is right now is, is prodding at your heart online. It's not an accident. Because the reality is Jesus could come back today. And let me, let me just say this. I don't want to scare you into anything, but I want to believe you and trust you into our God. Jesus could rapture the church today. It could happen. And the question is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know? Well, let's make certain of that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me across this field? And those don't don't get up. Those of you who are watching online, listen, this isn't where you tune out. They already know this. No, no, no. Listen, maybe for so long you fooled yourself to believe that you trusted in Jesus, but nothing's changed in your lifestyle. So just grab your kids. If you got kids and you're watching and you need to be asking them the questions, dad or moms or whomever's there. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you surrendered your will? Is there a moment in your life, a stake in the ground moment where you said, today is the day I trusted in Jesus? Listen, we've been going through the book of Galatians. It's not by works. It's not by law. It's not by regulations or ceremonies. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And it's by grace through faith. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now. If you are uncertain. And maybe you don't even know. And dads, maybe this is the time you look at your kids and say, I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to make sure. If you don't know that you know Jesus, the Bible says if we believe in Jesus, if we repent of our sin, and if by grace through faith we trust in the work on the cross, we will be saved. And if we believe that he was resurrected from the dead. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to trust in Jesus today? You can say, yeah, I, I have a moment. Dad Fest 2020, I'll never forget this day. And from this moment on, I drive a stake in the ground for Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you pray with me? Now, hear me out. This prayer doesn't save you. A prayer is a confession of what God is already doing in your heart or has already done in your heart. But it's important that we confess. So would you pray with me in the quietness of your heart? Say, dear God, here I am. I'm sitting in this field at Grace Community Church. I'm watching online. I'm in the front room. I'm driving my car. I'm in another country. I just snuck up on this live feed of this crazy dude talking. But Spirit of God, I know this is you and I need you. I'm uncertain. So would you pray? Father God, Forgive me of my sins. Only you can do that. I confess them to you. I surrender my will to you. I believe that you are the Lord and creator of the universe. I trust in you fully and in the work of the cross. And I believe you were raised from the dead. Please save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand across the field here and 
And those of you who are watching online, I'm going to ask you out of respect to stand in your homes. And if today, with your eyes closed, if today was the day that you said, Pastor Jim, this is the day I made a decision to trust in Jesus. Men, women, boys, girls, grandparents, and grandchildren. If today was the day you trusted in Jesus, I want you to do something. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to stand in a fire for Jesus. All we're asking you to do is to make a walk down this aisle and to come to the front and kneel before God and say, God, here I am. I'll worship you. I'm not playing games anymore. So as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come. And just kneel across the front and say, today was the day I trusted in Jesus. So please, 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 this is your chance to make a stand for Jesus. This is a safe place. So please come if you trusted in Jesus. And if you're online, please let Pastor Mike know that you made that decision. Because we want to follow up with you. So would you come as we sing? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come if you're making that commitment today? That you'll stand. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You could stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I won't back down. No, I won't back down In a world that keeps on pushing me around Will I stand my ground? Keep coming, keep coming, come on You gotta come from your car You gotta walk from the back, it's worth it Praise God, praise God Don't be afraid, grab someone's hand Ask for protection, just come Come on, come on, this is too important, just come Don't hold back, come just take a hand and kneel. Can we praise God? No, I won't back down. Praise God. No, I won't back down. You can send me up at the gates of hell. Can we hear it for these brothers and sisters? Come on, can we hear it? Come on. Come on. Don't be afraid. Come on. Bring them, Jesus. Bring them, Jesus. Come on, take a stand. Kneel before our God. Come on. If God is tugging at your heart, don't stand there. Come, come. Can we praise God? Can we praise God? coming. Praise God. Come on, come on, come on. Best decision you ever made. Come on. Come on. Don't, don't wait. This is too important. We're making a stand for Jesus. Let's hear it for him. Come on, come on.
Hey, Charlie, can you get John Creekmore a microphone? He can pray over our men here, please, and ladies who gave their lives to Christ. John has it. John, would you pray over these new believers? They're still coming. They're still coming. Come on, don't wait. They're still coming. They're coming. Coming to the right. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus. You said that a man must be born again. And Lord, we see people here kneeling today, confessing that with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in their hearts that he rose from the dead. And you promised, Father, that if they do those things, that they will be saved. And so, Father, we rejoice today for these who have come and for even those who maybe have not, and yet the Spirit of God is still stirring in their hearts. We pray, Father, that you would speak life into their lives and they would be saved. There's no other way for this world to be changed. There's no other way to lead this world and to go into the next world with peace than to confess our sins and to accept Jesus as Savior. We praise you for that today. We praise you for this time. We praise you for those who have made that choice in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, John. Hey, go with God. It's the best decision you've ever made. Hey, are we proud of? Come on, let's hear it for our new believers. Oh, come on, come on. You gotta at least clap your hands. Come on, come on. This is better than a touchdown. This is better than a home run. This is eternity with Jesus. Come on, come on. Now I wanna talk to some men. Maybe the men that are here. I'm gonna jump down here and I wanna talk to you. As the music's playing, and I'm going to ask you guys, please move to your left with John. He has some cards for you. John is the chairman of our elder board, so he loves you as much as we do. <laughs> so if you can move to my right, kind of to my right, work over to, with John and over to the left over here, his left. Praise God. Can we hear it one more time? Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to give you a hug. Hey, we've had a message here. And as a commitment to God, I've been challenging men. We need some mature elephants to mentor. We need some young men that are willing to listen to God. We need men that are willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. There's too many rhinos being killed by men that don't have a father. 
The world is absent, absent of godly men. I believe they're here. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to take a stand for Jesus. There are men here. I'm going to call you out. That would say, I will lead my home as a single. I will daily spend time with God. I will share my faith with my neighbors. I will spend time with God in prayer. And when the call calls, comes upon me to stand for Jesus in the workplace, I will stand for Jesus. I won't back down. I will love my wife and I will prepare her for eternity so that she can stand before Jesus one day. I will be the gatekeeper who will stand even when the fire gets hot. Even when we're called to the fire. Even when the flame begins gets hot. I will make a stand for Jesus. I will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when God calls my number, guys, we need the steps too. Bring the steps over. And when God calls my name, I will stand in the fire. And if that's you, and you're here today, one on each side, I want you to come. Now listen, this isn't just, yeah, this is a cool thing to do, but I want you to come, and I want you to make a stand for Jesus. Say, I will be that man. And walk off, and walk out. That's good. Any men here that want to take a stand? Come on, let's do it. Let's see it. Who's going to take a stand for you? Can we hear it? Come on. Who's going to take that stand? 